The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He says this in the context of everything we talked about before, which is be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We talked about that two weeks ago, that anytime you got care, don't be careless, but God wants you to be carefree. In other words, take that care and cast it in prayer. And that your heart would only be as heavy as the burdens that you choose to carry. So if you are burdened with the cares of this life, it's because you refuse to let go of that care and give it unto God. But God says, listen, I'm more than willing to take your care and to take your worry. You just have to give it to me. So we learn that being mindful of God will keep us from all anxiety. And that's why it says, guard your hearts and minds. And that's why it says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So we learned the right kind of thinking, not only um, the right kind of prayer, the prayer that casts our care onto the Lord, but we also learned about the right way to think. It's not just stop worry, don't worry about anything, and just have your mind be blank, tabula rasa, blank slate. No, but to think on these things, think on the things of God, and that too will help you uh, be guarded from all anxiety. And today we're going to learn about the right kind of practice. He says the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's not just learning, but it's also seeking. In philosophy, I know you don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. There's a difference between know that and, and know how. Two, two types of knowledge. Know that and know how. Know that is something like, I know that I am Alan. Know how is, I know how Alan feels. Know that is, I know how to uh, change the brakes on a car. Or know that is, I know all the details that go into taking the brakes off a car. Know how is actually having the experience of doing it. Okay, so there's a difference between know that and know how. When I worked at Marvin's gas station, and I worked at Exxon for a number of years, I tried out being a mechanic, and it might have been a mistake, but I wanted to try because I really liked cars back in the day. I was like so obsessed with cars, I would like know all the statistics on like what cars could do, go zero to 60 in, in uh, five seconds or less, and I could tell you all the, I can't tell you those things anymore, but I, I would know those things. So I wanted to work on cars, and I remember Marvin wanted me to, I shouldn't say his name, right? But I'll say his name anyway, because y'all know him. Marvin told me, take these brakes off the car. He told me exactly what to do. He said, you, you uh, loosen this nut, and you uh, take this thing off, and then whatever, and then you put the good brake pads on, and whatever. So he told me exactly what I was to do to disassemble the brakes. And I knew. I knew in my mind, as I received it from Marvin, I learned that I, are to, I am to do these sorts of things to take off the brakes pads off the car. So I go there, and this one bolt was just so tight, and I'm trying to loosen it with all of my might, and I'm like, I can't believe this. How is he able to do this every single day? So I'm like pulling and pulling and sweating and pulling, and I'm, you know, since I'm a man, I'm not going to ask for help. 
So I'm like, if I can't even do the simplest of things, how will I ever make it as a mechanic? So I'm pulling and pulling, and then the thing snaps, and I just break the bolt because I realized that I had forgotten lefty-loosey, ready-tighty, and I was tightening the bolt rather than loosening the bolt. And so to my embarrassment, I had to admit that I had broken a bolt on a car because I had turned the wrong way. You see, I knew exactly all the bolts I was supposed to take off, everything I was supposed to do, but I had no, no idea how to actually take it off because I had never done it before. In the same way, we all have learned something about God. At least most of us. Maybe this is your first time in church ever. Uh, I don't think so. From just looking around at you guys, I think most of you have grown up in the church. Most of you know a little bit about God. You have received something. You know that's the grace of God that saves you uh, by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know all those things. You've, you've seen it. You've seen youth pastors. You've seen your teachers. You've seen your parents. You've seen people experience God. But it's not enough to just know all these facts about God. The question is, have you experienced God? And are you doing something about the things that you've learned? Every Christian is called to do. Not just learn, not to just fill your mind, but to do afterwards. Now, maybe you've been going through this series and you've said, I've casted my care in prayer. I've filled my mind with the knowledge of God. But I am still anxious. I've tried. You know, I, I had this really rough week. And so what I did was I prayed, Lord, would you just take this care? And then after that, I filled my mind with the things of God. I listened to worship music. I read my Bible. I prayed. I did all these things. And I'm still anxious. I don't get it. Why am I still anxious? Well, perhaps you aren't seeking the Lord actively. Because you see, you can't have the peace of God without seeking the God of peace. Maybe you missed this when we read this verse, but here it doesn't say these do and the peace of God will be with you. It says, and the God of peace will be with you. So instead of uh, doing the right things, instead of casting our care and prayer, instead of filling our minds with the things of God, oftentimes what we'll do is we'll cast off the presence of God with our actions, and we'll fill our minds with worry. Refusing to live a life that pleases God can prevent us from the peace of God surrounding us. If you refuse to live your life in a way that pleases God, you can be casting off the peace that God wants to give you. Kind of like if you are sleeping and you got a warm blanket wrapped around you at night. You ever just in the middle of the night, you kick off that blanket involuntarily and you're freezing in the morning? It's the same thing. Your actions can cast off the peace of God if you refuse to live in a way that pleases him. So it's not enough to know just how to do things. You actually have to practice what you know. I can study to play basketball. I can watch every single play. I can memorize every single like technique and I can watch NBA games, college basketball games. I can watch the best players on YouTube, do all these kinds of like tricks and whatever. I can study that. I can read books. Well, I, can, I can know as much as possible to be known about basketball, but there's a difference between studying basketball and actually playing basketball. 
And it's the same way in our Christian life. You can have head knowledge, but if you don't actually apply the things that you know, then it's going to not be able to work out and practice in your life. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is talking about sinners that have casted off the idea of God. They want to pursue, they, yeah, they want peace, just not the God of peace. And because of that, although they knew God in their minds, they did not glorify him. They didn't seek him, in other words. And because of that, their thoughts became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So before we can have peace from God, we need peace with God. Let me just suggest to you today, if you've prayed, if you tried to listen to Christian music, you try to read your Bible and all those things, and you still feel anxious, perhaps it is because you've been seeking peace from God before you have sought peace with God. Our sin is one of those things that can keep the peace of God from being with us because it keeps the, pe uh, the God of peace away from us. Why does sin keep peace at bay? Why does sin keep God at bay? Because sin is opposed to anything that is of God. And, and so, listen, I could give you the three keys to peace. I, I could give you like a self-help kind of like speech or talk or something that's going to tell you everything you need, need to know to secure the three keys of peace. But that would be in vain. Because apart from the God of peace, you're going to be missing out. So this entire series isn't meant to secure you the three keys of peace. It's meant to assure you of your security in the God of peace. So the first practice that we can take upon ourselves as Christians is seeking peace with the God of peace. Have you made peace? Have you made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Everyone here, have you made that decision? Have you, can you look back at your life and say, there was a point in time where I said, Lord, I need you to take control. I don't want to do my own thing. I want you to be the Lord of my life. The psalmist says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, in other words, sin, the Lord will not hear. All throughout the Bible, you have sinners praying and God says, I will not hear you. I will not listen to you. And so that brings up the question, if God doesn't hear, but he's omnipresent, doesn't he hear everybody? What does that actually mean? Well, it means that God only listens to his children. And if you're not in his adopted family, then you are not his child. And he has no need to listen to you. You're someone else's kid. Doesn't mean that he doesn't hear you crying. It means that he's not going to listen to you because you don't belong to him. Now you might say, but no one's perfect. Why is it such a big deal? If we all sin, why is it such a big deal that it, that it would actually keep me from... Uh, experiencing the peace of God. There was a past, uh, this past New Year's, there was a guy in New Jersey who was pulled over, I saw on the news, and the cop who pulled him over, pulled him over because he was driving drunk. And this is what he said. He said, everybody drives drunk on New Year's Eve. So you shouldn't give me a ticket. 
He told the police officer, you shouldn't give me a ticket because everyone drives drunk on New Year's Eve. Obviously, that's silly. But don't you see that's exactly what we tell God when we say that sin isn't a big deal? We're comparing ourselves with everybody else. Why is sin such a big deal? Everybody sins. Well, that is a failure to see how sin separates us from a holy God. Because sin itself is idolatry. In other words, it's telling God, Hey God, thank you for creating me. Thank you for making me. But I want to do things my own way. And I don't want to live a life in thankfulness to you. So it's basically like, you know, if you live in your parents' household, uh, all you do for the most part, and your parents ask you to do something and you don't listen, you're like, what have you ever done for me? And they're like, are you kidding me? I raised you, I fed you, I burped you, and I changed your diaper. It's like all these things. You're like, well, I don't have to be grateful to you. Of course you do. You have... There's something inherent in your life that would cause you to be thankful to your parents because they have done so much for you. In the same way, we are required to give that kind of thankfulness towards God in the way that we live our lives because he's given us our very life. And even though we messed up the life that he's given us, he chose to come into this world and fix it. And if we still say, well, it's nice that you've given me life and it's nice that you've died for me so that I can have a second life, I still want to do my own thing You can, but you're not going to have the God of peace to be with you. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't call upon God, because he does, uh, he does hear you in a kind of, in an actual sense. It's not, he just won't listen to you in in terms of like, give in to your demands, uh, if you're a sinner. But at any time, you can call upon him. Think about the woman with the flow of blood in Matthew chapter 9. How this woman said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Of course, if you have that attitude, of course God will hear you. It doesn't matter who you are or how much sin you've been in, God will always be there if you're willing to repent from your ways, your sins. Now, what about the believer who sins? Maybe that's your question. Maybe you're a believer here today, and you're saying, what about when I sin? Can I still have peace even though... I mess up because the fact is we all still sin. Even when I prayed the prayer and I said, Lord, be the Lord of my life, I still mess up. I still do mess, really mess up things sometimes. Can I still have the God of peace? Well, yes, because you are his child and all your sins are paid for and forgiven. As Romans chapter 4 says in verse 6, Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. That word is tetelestai, which means paid in full. So when Jesus died on the cross, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were paid in full. Which means... Get this, you could not do a single good thing for the rest of your life and you could still go to heaven because it's not based on your works, it's based on your trust in Jesus. Now, if, listen, if you go out, you leave here and you start killing people and you start doing terrible things, I would say maybe you weren't genuine about surrendering your life to Jesus. But it's not required, it's just the faith that you place in God. You don't have to keep on, oh, I really have to rededicate. I mean, like, maybe that's, that's good, 
you're making the decision that this time I'll get right with God. But it's not required like you're going to go to hell because you didn't say, Lord, I'm sorry for that last sin that I just committed. As long as you place your trust in Jesus, you will be saved. Listen, when you go to a restaurant, how many of you have credit cards by a show of hands? How many have credit cards, debit cards? Okay. How many of you have signed for something when you went to a restaurant? Anyone? Okay. Well, pretend that you have a credit card. Pretend that you have a debit card. And you have to sign <laughs> for your receipt. If you were to go pay with your debit card for your meal, you sign the receipt. And by the way, most of the time I write Superman or write something ridiculous because they're not going to check anyway. You sign the receipt. You hand it to the person. You don't expect that next week they're going to call you and say, hey, listen, I know you signed the receipt last week, but we want you to come in and sign it again. You already signed it once. What if they say, listen, I know that you signed it once, but really this is a contractual obligation where you have to come in uh, once a week for the rest of your life to come in and sign the receipt for the meal that you, you, you bought. No, it's paid in full. It's done. It's over. You don't have to go in and ever worry about it ever again. In Christianity, you are declared innocent even before you are placed on trial. Isn't that awesome? To think about that God has declared you righteous even before you go before the judge. Before the day of judgment, God has already seen you as righteous. But think about it. Now that's, that's where you are positionally with Jesus. But think about this. How many of our worries come about because we disobey God? How many of us are just so stressed out because we know we displease God and it's just bugging us to death? The fact that we gossiped about someone and now we have to worry about whether or not that person is going to tell someone else and whether or not the gossip is going to get back to us. When we plagiarize on a test or we cheat on a test and now we're worried because we think, oh, what if I get caught? What if I get found out? I'll have to drop out of school. And, or when you sin in some other way, and you're afraid of getting caught. Listen, sin has negative consequences. It does. And so it would make sense if you're a little bit worried about the fact that you've sinned. Because there are always consequences to your sin. And that's why, if you look at the Bible, whenever God gives a command, it's not just to burden you. The Bible actually says that his commandments are not burdensome. And one of the blessings of obedience is prosperity. When I say that, I don't mean like you're going to get like millions of dollars in your pocket tomorrow. I mean that your life is going to work pragmatically, the word is. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, pay attention, it says, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The Bible's like, listen, if you listen to me, it's going to work out. I mean, how many of your friends have you counseled? I said, don't date him. He's a monster. Don't do it. I'm doing it for your good. You know, your advice is good advice. Why? Because it will save you from pain and heartache. In the same way, that's what... The Bible is. When you listen to it, it's just very practically. It's going to keep you from a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache. When the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. It's not because God's just like, yeah, just because I don't feel like you should. No, it's going to keep you from a lot of heartache, a lot of worry. Just think about this. Let's say you date an unbeliever. You're just like, oh, well, they're basically Christian, you know, they're Catholic, so it works. 
and you start, I'm not saying that there aren't genuine Catholics that are saved, but that's usually the default answer. Oh yeah, they believe there's God and then they came to church once. Let's say that you actually date uh, an unbeliever. And then you have to always, always worry, what, is, what are people going to think about this? If I bring him to church, will he, will he get saved today? What if we get married? And like, what if he still isn't saved? And our kids, and we'll have to think about whether or not we can bring him to church. All these worries come about just because you made one decision that was against biblical counsel. So that's why Paul says, these do, the things that you've learned, you've received, heard, seen, basically you observe them, these do and the God of peace will be with you. So when we have the God of peace with us, we have something much better than what the world can give us. We have something better than the mantras. Mantras are things in the world, like sayings that you repeat to yourself that work. Like believe in yourself. Things like that. We have something better than that. We have something better than self-help books that have like seven keys to peace and whatever. Because we have peace that we can actually trust in. Because our peace is a person. You can trust in God. And you can trust in the peace that he gives you. Because it doesn't come apart from the God of peace. You may do yoga if you like. If that makes you peaceful. You may do some sort of meditation you may do all these things that are going to relieve your stress. You know, give yourself a massage. It may work today. It may not work tomorrow. You might take medicine today, and it may not work tomorrow. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You try Jesus, he's going to work. It's peace that actually works in your life. I think it's amazing. The Bible is probably the only thing in the world that you'll try it, it works, and you still doubt if, it, if it's going to work next time. Whereas anything else in our life, we do it because it works. Yeah, every, last time I took that, it made me, feel, made me feel a lot better, so I always take this brand of cough drop. I always wear these sneakers because every time I play in these sneakers, I always make the basket. I only wear, you know, you do all these things because they work. How many of you are wearing the thing that you're wearing today because someone told you that you look good? You're like, yes, I do look good. Yes, it works. And you do it again. You repeat it. The Bible is the only thing that you question. Like, will it really work tomorrow? I don't know. It worked yesterday and it's worked for the past 25 years. I'm just not sure if it's going to work tomorrow. Yes, it will. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid. People search for peace, but unless they find God, their peace is only temporary. So that's the first thing. We got to seek the God of peace. First, we got to get peace with God before we get peace from God. Second thing is that we got, the second thing that we got to practice is seeking peace with each other. I mean, just think about it. how much of our anxiety comes from the fact that we have strife amongst us. How much of our worries come about because we have drama even in the body of Christ? Look at verse 10. Paul says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, so Paul is talking to the Philippians and says, 
yeah, I'm in jail, and uh, I know you really wanted to help me. And listen, I, I really believe that. It's just that you lacked opportunity to actually help me out. You didn't know what to do. But he knew something about the Philippians, and that is that they surely did care. Do your friends know that you surely do care about them? Do your enemies think that you actually care about them? The Bible says in John 13, 35, By this all, know, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Why does he say that? It should be easy to love your family, right? Like, you will be, people will say, man, they got to be Christians because they love their best friend. No, everyone, even mobsters love their own best friends. Why does he say this? He says that because there is a temptation in the body of Christ to not love one another. It is so easy to come to youth group here and you have 70 plus kids and to be like, I don't think I belong. Of course, because you're in the body of Christ. We have radically different people here. And we're all joined by one thing, and that's the blood of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, it talks about we are to put on his tender mercies, and we are to have the, uh, uh, the love of God be the bond of all perfection. That word bond means the deeply rooted ligaments. In other words, ligaments in your body hold radically different body parts together. I have one tendon here that holds me to my arm. The hand's so different from my arm. Arm's different from my head. It's different from my chest. It's different from my legs. Everything is radically different, but it's the love of Christ that keeps us all together. So that's something we got to understand, is that we're all from different cultures, abilities, interests, etc. D.A. Carson says this, the church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, accents, jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ. They're a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. So how about instead of seeking for your friends to make peace with you, that you make peace with them? That they could say, they surely did care about me. I think about, you know, there's a lot of drama that goes into youth group. I think drama is probably the number one reason why people run away from youth group. And it's always the people that you wouldn't suspect. It's always like, weren't you guys like best friends? It's, oh, they said this one thing, and I don't know, and I feel uncomfortable. And yeah, it happens. It will happen for the rest of your life. And why not figure it out now? Like, you wouldn't believe how many adults have that same problem. Like, yeah, I haven't been coming to church because that person said this one thing. And like, really? You're in high school. Come on, people. Get over it. We're all in the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Maybe you have anxiety because you haven't tried to live peaceably with your brothers or sisters. What Paul says is not, um, you know, try, try to live peaceably, you know. Like if the person's nice to you, try to like make peace with them. He says, as much as it depends on you, make peace with people. Be peaceable with all men. So why don't you try it next time that someone smacks you? I don't think we actually have that, but... 
Next time someone says something nasty, you say, you know what? Even though that really hurts, the fact that you said my hair is way too long and I'm really ugly, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to make peace with you because Jesus loves me. Why not? Try it. Just think about how much anxiety you relieve just by resolving disputes. Because you have two options. Run away from church forever or deal with people in church now. And let me tell you, the first option, you'll be running for the rest of your life and you'll never have those anxieties resolved. To this day, I still have some awkward relationships just because of something someone said to me when I was 15 years old. And I'm like, come on. We're like so young. Why don't we just get over it? But all those years of just being frustrated and anxious, just make right with people now. Because most of the time you'd be surprised when you actually sit down with people and you apologize. You say you're sorry. You'd be amazed on how many people are like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry too. I'm a jerk too. And you're like, yeah, let's be best friends. Like I've told you these stories before. Like I punched my best friend in the face over the fact that he said Michael Jackson was dumb. And then I bought him. It's true. <laughs> I punched him twice. I punched him twice because the first time I punched him, I felt like I hit him really weak. And he would call me a girl for the rest of my life. So I punched him the second time. <laughs> true story. Can't make this stuff up. And then I bought him a chocolate-covered egg filled with peanut butter. And I gave it to him the same day. And I said, would you forgive me? He said, yeah, let's go to the mall. And we were friends. Make peace as much as it depends on you. And believe me, if I had left it at that, just imagine how terrible I'd feel for the rest of my life. I can't believe I punched him for Michael Jackson. I am such a loser. How can I call myself a youth pastor when I punch people about Michael Jackson when I'm 17? Just get over it. Make peace with people. The third thing, the third thing to practice as Christians is seeking God in everything that we do. And this starts in verse 12 or 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Another source of our anxiety comes from when we don't have what we want. Perhaps you didn't get the date. You asked the girl out of your dreams. And you got rejected. And listen, I have been there many, many times. I remember, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't tell you this. I've done it like many times in this church even. It's just like, I'm going to pull her aside, I'm going to ask her out. And I'm like, wow, I was such a weirdo. I'd ask her out, and she's like, well, you know what? Let's try being friends first. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And then once I got social awareness, I'm like, wait, that's bad. That is not good. She rejected me, but she did it in a way that's not confrontational. So maybe you didn't have what you want. Maybe you didn't make the sports team that you wanted. Maybe you didn't get the grade that you wanted. And so what happens is we worry about our future because all the things that we hoped for and all the things that we hoped in didn't turn out the way that we wanted it. And now you think, well, if I don't make enough money, then what? If my friends don't think I'm funny, then what? If I never get a date, then what? You always worry 
about the future because you don't see things working out in the present. And this is what Paul's saying. Listen, he's like, it doesn't matter what I have and what I don't have. I've learned the secret of being content in all things because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of people take that verse as it's, like, it's, it's supposed to say something like, yeah, I can overcome all things through Christ. I can march through a mountain. I can say to that mountain, be moved, and it will be moved. That's not what he's talking about. He's just saying, like, listen, I could be poor, and I can still get through it at the end of the day because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My identity is not in my things. It's in Jesus. Like, there was a time in my life where I, you know, I had really hoped to make it in music. And one of my friends was to the point that I would see her success all over the place. And every time I saw her succeed and I didn't succeed, it would make me more and more bitter and more and more feel hopeless and helpless. I would see her like back when MySpace was a thing. Do you remember what MySpace was? She'd be on the front page of MySpace and just like her music is getting advertised. She's blowing up everywhere. And I'm just like, what the heck? This is not cool. And I would get so frustrated because I felt like I would not be able to attain to that level. I felt like a loser. But all those anxieties were self-caused because I placed all of my trust in success and not in Jesus. So this is what you got to learn. If you are, everyone look up here. If you are not content now, you will never be content. No, no matter how many things you have, no matter how many things work out the way that you planned, if you are not content where you are now, you will never be content anywhere. I remember when I was first starting out rock climbing, there was a guy that uh, was one of the coaches at the gym. And I disagree with most of the things that he said. But one thing that I really agreed with, what, the one thing that I agreed with that he did say was that you'll never be strong enough. And that really stuck with me because I kept on thinking, as long as I can climb this hard, as long as I can do something this hard, then I'll be okay. And you could be the same way, whatever sport you're doing or whatever thing that you're trying to attain. If only I meet this mark, I will be okay. If only I make this much money, if only I can buy that car, if only I can, whatever. But it will never be enough. And that's why Paul says he learned to be content. And listen, what's really interesting about this is this is a man who experienced both sides. There's a woman named Lydia who was a seller of purple, which sounds kind of awkward. It's like, how do you sell a, a color? But purple was a really expensive dye and, and thing back in the day, and so she did. And because she was rich, she had a bunch of mansions. And so sometimes Paul would be living out on the street. He'd be in prison. And sometimes he'd be in a mansion being, uh, you know, feasting with kings. It's one thing to say that you're not content because you don't have and you haven't attained. It's another thing to say, I've reached the top and I don't care if I lose everything tomorrow. Can you imagine anyone, any celebrity saying, yeah, you know, if I lost everything that I have, if I lost my reputation... I didn't get another movie. I didn't get another thing ever again. I'd be okay. You wouldn't hear anyone say that because their security isn't their success. But Paul says, since my security and my identity is not in anything that I do or anything that I am apart from Jesus, I will be okay because even if everything is stripped away, I still have Jesus. It's a great thing. I, I read this proverb the other day, which is great. Proverbs 30 verse 7 
It says, two things I request of you, God. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from my eyes. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So the writer of Proverbs is saying, if I am so full, I might forget God. And if I don't have anything, I might be bitter against God. So help me to have just what I need for the day. And do you realize that's what God promises us? You will have everything that you need right now. Not tomorrow. Not in 10 years. Right now. Think about that. God has given you everything you have right now that you need to live a godly life. Everything you need to be content. And some of you say, if only I had X, then I would be happy. No! No, you would not. Be happy with what you have right now. Everyone turn, off, uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. This is where we're going to close today. Matthew chapter 6. This would be almost a sin on my part if I didn't go over this passage as we talk through anxiety. And it relates really well with this point about contentment. Matthew chapter 6, in verse 31. Just three verses, 31 through 34. It says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not, be, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What I love about this is, is that Jesus doesn't say, you don't need these things. He doesn't say, your, your desires are ridiculous. He doesn't say, what you're asking me is dumb. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Everyone pay, pay attention right now. Even though Frankie is awesome. It says, even though your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, seek first the kingdom of God. I've said this quote before, but it's worth repeating. A good thing can be a bad thing if it keeps you from the best things. Even the good things that you have in front of you can be bad if they keep you from the giver of those things. And so much of our time, energy is just wasted pursuing the wrong things. We spend hours pursuing things that won't last. A wrong relationship. Spending time in front of the mirror for like five hours trying to get ourselves looking right. Wasting our time when we could spend our time better doing other things. But the Bible says here, that we aren't to worry about tomorrow. Not worry about our future. And some of us are always searching for answers. We're looking like, I don't know how many of you read your horoscope. Hopefully none of you. Just so you know, this is the year of the wooded sheep. Don't ask how I know that. Some of you are always looking for answers. And you're praying, you're like flipping, doing Bible roulette. 
and you're saying like, when will God show me who I'm to marry? When will God show me what I'm supposed to do with my life? When will God show me what college to apply to? And listen, just be content where you are. Don't miss out on the ministry right in front of you just because you have so much farsightedness that you're always looking towards the future. You got to live two, free, two feet in front of you. You have to see at what God has placed on your table and be content to sit at that table. As Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me into green pastures. He's, he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so many of us just want to know about the future that we're missing out on the calling that God has for us today. The fact that you could be so filled with so much joy because you brought a, a random stranger from the mall or from the streets or whatever into youth group from your school and you invited them and they got saved and they're flourishing and they're excited about God. One of my best friends that I've known since I was in fifth grade, God just tugged his heart and he's coming to this youth, uh, not this youth group, he's coming to this church now. And it happened through crazy circumstances. Like literally he was driving, he was going through a, a depressing time. And during this time, he was driving, this is actually when uh, Mark Cahill was here a couple of years, or a year ago and talking about evangelism. And so he got in a car accident while he was driving. I wasn't planning on sharing the story, but I might as well. He got in a car accident and bumped the guy in front of him. He's like, oh man, he's like, I have so much worry. He's like, I, I have so much stress right now and I caused an accident. And then the guy that he bumped into said, you know what? Don't worry about it. Let's go to lunch. Invite him out to lunch. And so he goes, my friend and this random guy, goes to lunch. And the guy, this random dude, just pays for his entire bill to fix his car and invites him to Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge. Because Mark Cahill just said, why don't you go invite someone and pray for an opportunity? Just so happened that he was like, Lord, I pray even as I'm driving that you give me an opportunity. Boom! And just gets hit. And so as he's leaving, he's like, thank you so much for bumping into me. He's like, actually, you bumped into me. That was really bad, but it happened. <laughs> it really did happen. But it's all because he was open to see the opportunities that was around him. And how exciting it could be if you just say, Lord, I don't care about the future because I know that you have the future in your hands. I want to do what you're calling me to do today. And that is the most peaceful way to live your life. When you say that I am willing to do whatever God has for me today. Your agenda is whatever God has for me. Your schedule is whatever God wants me to do. Instead of always planning out everything to the T, because you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know what's going to happen in five years or even in three months. So just trust the Lord in today. You see, God doesn't want you to find the table of contents to your tomorrow. He wants you to sit at the table of contentment in today. It doesn't matter what you have in the future because God knows what the future is going to look like. So all that to say, in conclusion, just wrapping up what's happened throughout this series, the first message we learned about that we're not just saying don't care, but cast your care in prayer. Not just don't think, but think on these things, the things of God. And lastly, the last thing we want to encourage you with this evening is it's not just don't desire, don't want, but desire God above all else. It's a peace that works. To live your life in a way that pleases God is the most anxiety-free way you could live your life. 
Because think about it. You don't have to worry about sin because you know that you're right with God. And you know if you're right with God, the God of peace will be with you. And so it doesn't matter where you go, even if you don't have anything. You're like, well, if I don't get into the right school, I'll be a bum. And I, w- I won't even have, like, food and stuff. Yes, you will. If God cares about the sparrows and he clothes the lilies, don't you think he's going to take care of you? That's a guarantee and a promise that you have in God's word. So stop worrying. Let tomorrow worry about itself. And let's trust in the Lord. Amen.